Headquarters, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Named Arthur Drake. Age, 40 years. Cause of death, blows of claw hammer. Classification, murder. Investigation proceeding. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents another thrilling case from the files of True Justice Stories. Followed by millions of readers each week in the New York Sunday News and its syndicates. Tonight's case, The Marriage Bureau Murder. Tonight's true case history of crime begins on a hot, sultry morning in June 1944. A large interstate truck rumbles along the dry roads of Oklahoma. Lonely roads where it's early in the morning. The truck driver yawns, turns to his assistant. Hey, Ed. Wake up. Wake up. Hmm? Uh, Morning already? Eight o'clock. Time for you to take over. You're a clock watcher, Bill, if I ever saw one. Anyone's a clock watcher if he's been driving all night. Okay, stop the truck and we'll change seats. I'll sure be glad when we get to Texas. Me too. I got a date with the cutest little babe I ever saw down in San Antonio. Hope she's got a friend. (laughs) I think I can fix it up. Well. Yeah. Look at that. What? Where? Over there, side of the road. Looks like a woman. Come on. There's a woman. Was. Gosh. Hmm. Horrible. What do we do? We gotta tell the cops about this right away. Bill, where are we? Not far from Muskogee. I saw a farmhouse back a ways. We're full from there. Bill. Yeah. She. She's been murdered. <laughs> There's a body, Sheriff. The side of the road. Just where that truck driver said it was. Well, he wasn't kidding when he said she had been murdered. Well, let's get to work. Yeah, that's what this is going to be. You get the camera ready while I take a look at this corpse. Okay, Sheriff. Looks as if she's been struck on the head with a hammer. Claw hammer. Let's see. One, two, three. I can count ten hammer marks. Boy, whoever did this sure did a job on her. She apparently raised her left arm to shield her head from the first blow. Yeah, the left sleeve of the coat's torn. And the left arm is badly bruised. How old would you say she was, Sheriff? Oh, about 40, about 5 feet, 120 pounds. We got a complete and accurate description from the medical examiner. Married, if that wedding ring means anything. You'll find out. Ready for that picture? Yeah, all set. Okay, you get it from all angles. Right. I noticed some tire marks over here just off the road. Yeah. There's footprints here near the body. Yeah, they'll not help us much, I'm afraid. Those truckmen were here, too, remember? Yeah, I'd better measure them just in case. Yeah, we'll come out later and get a moulage of these tire prints. Leave Casper to watch things here till the medical examiner arrives. Yeah, I got the picture, Sheriff. All right, Warren. We'd better get back to town. We've got plenty of work ahead of us. I guess there's nothing more we can accomplish here. Oh, well, what next? The first thing we've got to do is identify this woman. <laughs> Travelling with her in a moderate-priced automobile. 
Fire tracks the car as well as the man's footprints found at the scene of the crime lead to this conclusion. Well, Warren, anything new? Now, quite a bit, Sheriff. I don't know what it adds up to yet. You're too impatient, Warren. If you're going to hold down the job of deputy sheriff around here, you've got to learn to acquire one of the prime qualities of a police officer. Perseverance. Dogged perseverance. Combined with patience. But I want to get my hands on a maniac who did I know, Warren, I know. Very possibly you will, if you remember what I've just said. Now, what have you got, eh? Our telephone reports have been coming in all day, Sheriff. A, a radio and a press has sure spread this thing around. Cooperating beautifully. Well, I've arranged a sort of digest of what's come in, and well, I've tried to put it in chronological order. Go ahead. Uh, John Holbrook, owner of Good Rest Tourist Camp south of Kansas City, reported a man and a woman rented a cabin from him last night and left early this morning. It uh, wasn't too clear as to description. Well, that's not much. Go ahead. A service station at Fort Scott, Kansas, reported a man and a woman in a 1941 Ford Coupe stopping there for gas at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. A Columbus, Kansas cafe reports a man and a woman in a similar Ford Coupe stopping there for breakfast at 7 o'clock this morning. Yeah. And, and get this, Sheriff. At 7.30 a.m., a gray Ford Coupe was seen racing through Venita at about 60 miles an hour. A man and a woman were in it. So what? Well, just this. Just about 8 o'clock this morning, the same car was seen going through Bonita at about 60, but this time in the opposite direction, north, and only a man was in the car. Well, now, that sounds as if it might lead us somewhere. We'll backtrack on all these reports, Warren. The only difficulty, Sheriff, is that no one I talked to could be positive about checking with a description of a victim, and no one could give me an accurate description of a man. How about the license number? No dice. All right, Warren, we let the men sift these reports because... I think you and I have to travel in a different direction. Where? I don't know. But I do know that we've got to concentrate on this pair of blue shoes. See anything uh, unusual about them? Only that they're mighty small. Hey, she has the smallest feet I've ever seen. But I I don't see... Don't you realize that the only label we found on anything the woman wore is on this pair of shoes? Yes, but Richard's Shoe Shop, wherever it is, might have sold a thousand pair of shoes like this. But you yourself have just remarked that these shoes are unusually small. Now, this is the only thing remotely tangible that we have to work on. We're going hunting for Richard's Shoe Shop. Okay, Sheriff. But that might take us on a tour of the whole United States. To locate a local shoe shop with nothing more than a mere label is a difficult task in a nation as large as the United States. And this fact, Sheriff Crawford and Deputy Warren soon learn. But with dogged determination, the two Oklahoma police officers keep checking. They drive hundreds of miles following false clues. They visit a shoe manufacturer's convention, which it so happens is in session in Oklahoma City. No one has ever heard of Richard's shoe shop. More checking. More disappointments. The search now looks hopeless. Then one day, just ten days after the woman's body had been found... Deputy Warren talks with a shoe clerk in Memphis, Tennessee. The clerk says the shoes look as if they'd been manufactured by a shoe company in his own hometown, Indianapolis. Warren visits the shoe company. Do they have a customer whose trademark is Richard's Shoe Shop? The manager looks in his records. Yes. Yes, he has such a customer. It's a store located in Peoria, Illinois. Immediately, Sheriff Crawford and Deputy Warren journey to Peoria. Talk to the owner of Richard's Shoe Shop. We're police officers, Mr. Richard, from Oklahoma. Yes, what could I do for you? Unwrap those shoes, Warren. Right, Sheriff. Forgive me, gentlemen, but may I ask what this is all about? We're returning a pair of ladies' shoes, Mr. Richard, which we hope were purchased in your store. Oh, let me see them. Here you are. 
Did those shoes come from your shop, Mr. Richard? Well, yes. Yes, they did. Could you uh, could you possibly give us the name of the customer? Well, sir, I, I don't know whether I can or not. You see... You're afraid I, of uh, getting someone into trouble? Well, you might call it that. Of course, I don't want to seem uncooperative, but... Warren, well, got that picture handy you took of the body? Oh, here. Was this your customer, Mr. Richard? Oh, that's daughter Maxwell. She's dead? Yes, Mr. Richard, she's dead. That's why we're here. Oh, I see. And did you sell her these shoes? Yes, yes, I did. How do you know? Well, because of the size and because of the extra high heel. The size, huh? Yes. Daughter, oh, she was one of my regular customers. She wore a size 3 AAA. We had a terribly difficult time fitting her. Oh, I can't believe she's dead. Murdered, Mr. Richard. That's why we're asking you to give us her address. You have it? Yes, yes, of course I have. You see, she had an account with us. We'd like that address, Mr. Richard. Certainly, sir. Just a minute. Oh, I can't believe... Our first big break, Sherry. I told you, Warren, that patience was a necessity in our work. Patience and perseverance. But don't get so enthusiastic. We're just beginning. Here you are, gentlemen. Here's the address on this slip of paper. Now, that's your mother's house out on High Street. I'll tell you how to get there. Home, Sheriff. Take it easy, Warren. If she isn't, we'll come back. That fellow Richard's quite a character. Yeah. Yes, gentlemen. You're uh, Mrs. Maxwell? That's exactly who I am. I don't want to buy anything today. Uh, just a moment, Mrs. Maxwell. Well, we're not selling anything. Well, then why are you knocking on my door? We've uh, come to talk about your daughter, Dorothy. My daughter? She's not here. Uh, we know, Mrs. Maxwell. How, how do you know? Who are you, men? Uh, we're police from Oklahoma. Way up here from Oklahoma? That's where my daughter is. I had a letter yes, from... Yes, Mrs. Maxwell, we know. You know I had a letter? Uh, no, we know she's in Oklahoma. But how... Oh, is anything wrong? Mrs. Maxwell, your daughter is dead. Dead? Oh. Oh, she's fainted. You got her, Warren? Yeah, yeah, I got her. Here. All right, let's get her inside. Here, I'll give you a hand. In the living room here? Yes. Right. Put her on the sofa. Okay, sir. Yeah, here. That's right. There she is. Oh, I must have fainted. You did, Mrs. Maxwell. Feeling better? If I could have my smelling salts out in the kitchen. I'll get them. There they are on the shelf over the sink. I'll be right back. I'm sorry we had to startle you the way we did, Mrs. Maxwell, but it was necessary for you to know the truth so that you'd give us the information we need to catch your daughter's murderer. Did you say... Murderer? Mrs. Maxwell, we're going to make it as easy for you as we can. I know very well how you must feel hearing that word. I also know you're going to do all in your power to help us apprehend whoever is responsible. But how do you know? How do you know she was murdered? Because we found her body by the side of a road. And, well, I'd rather not say any more. Oh, I can't believe it. I just can't. Here you are, Miss Maxwell, the smelling salt. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, uh, this picture, Mrs. Maxwell... Uh, no one. What, what picture? It's a photograph of your daughter, Dorothy, as we found her. I'd rather you didn't see it. No, I'd rather not. These shoes, Mrs. Maxwell, were they your daughter's shoes? Yes. How did this happen? Well, that's what we want you to tell us, Mrs. Maxwell. Me? 
tell you. I don't know. Uh, we want you to tell us just why your daughter left home, where she went, and most particularly who she went with. You see, we want to get the man who did this, Miss Maxwell, and we want your help. The man who killed my daughter. I'll do everything I can to help you. Good. Now let's start at the beginning. First, when did Dorothy leave home? Well, when she got that letter from Mr. Drake through the matrimonial bureau. Uh, Mr. Drake? Matrimonial bureau? Yes. See, Dorothy hadn't had much luck with marriage. He started off when she was very young, had three husbands right in succession. Mm-hmm. None of the marriages worked out very well, so uh, she decided to try this till death do us part matrimonial bureau in Chicago. It's a sort of correspondence club. And she corresponded with this Mr. Drake? That's right. He was listed as a very rich man from East Texas. Oil business, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he was rich. Well, after a few letters and an exchange of photographs, David proposed marriage to Dorothy, and she accepted. She sold some property she had here, put the money in a money belt, and left for St. Louis to meet David and marry him. Money belt? Yes. Dorothy was always afraid of being robbed. How much money did she take in her money belt, Mrs. Maxwell? Okay. Just a little more than $3,000. Okay. She called it a dowry. Dorothy was always so romantic. I suppose she had some jewelry. Oh, yes. Presents from her former husband, you see. She had one necklace that her last husband sent her from Africa. It's pure gold. Will you please describe it? Well, uh, I always called it the Casablanca necklace, because that's where it came from. As I say, it was pure gold made by the Arabs. I see. Beautiful. I always kind of hoped she'd give it to me. Well, now, let's get on with the story, Mrs. Maxwell. You said your daughter left Peoria for St. Louis to marry David Drake. Yes. Mm-hmm. She married him in St. Louis. And they started on a motor trip to his estate in Texas. They had a fine trip. She rode to you, I suppose. Oh, almost every day. She was so happy. They, they stopped in tourist camp. You remember where? Well, I have the letters upstairs. I remember the last one I had was from a tourist camp near Kansas City. They were on their way south then. That checks, sir. Yes, one. Mrs. Maxwell, I'm going to ask you to let us see those letters. All right. And that uh, photograph on the mantel, have you one like it that you could let us have? Yes, I believe I do. Fine, fine. And do you by any chance have Mr. Drake's Texas address? I don't believe he ever told Arthur just where he was located in Texas, but I can get you his St. Louis address. He had an apartment there. I have it. Because that's the only address Arthur could give me when she left home. Good. That'll be our next stop. We'll see what we can find in Mr. Drake's apartment with the help of the St. Louis police. You... You think he killed my daughter? We don't know, Mrs. Maxwell. You see, we can't afford to reach conclusions until we have proof, evidence. The kind of evidence we hope to get in St. Louis. Give us a hand, Sergeant. Glad to cooperate, Deputy Warren. As soon as I got your wire, I arranged for a search warrant for this apartment. The superintendent gave me the key. I'd better ring first, Sergeant. Yes, you're right, Sheriff. The super said Drake was away, but you never can tell. If he's in there, he's either asleep and doesn't intend to answer the door. Might as well open up, Sergeant. Right. Now, careful, everybody. No one here, Sheriff. I'll look in the bedroom, in the back. Uh, thanks, Sergeant. Sheriff, look here on the desk. This picture. A man and a woman. It's 
Sturgis and Mildred, in memory of our wonderful honeymoon. Mm, looks like Mr. Drake had another wife. But I thought his name was David. He probably had several names. Let's see that letter on the desk. Addressed to Mr. Sturgis Jones. We're getting somewhere, Warren. Hmm. A bill from the Till Death to his part matrimonial bureau for an introduction to Miss Dortha Maxwell. Hmm. Things are beginning to gel. He doubtless had a deal with this bureau to use two names. No one in there, Sheriff. But I did find this photo in the bedroom. Thanks, Sergeant. Well, that's man in the other picture, Sturgis. Yes, I think we can use this. One, I want you to stay here and make a thorough search of this apartment. Right, Sheriff. With the aid of the sergeant and the St. Louis police, I'm going down to headquarters and take a look through the files. After that, you and I will head south, visiting tourist camps, trying to pick up the trail of Mr. Sturgis Jones, alias David Drake. You are listening to the case history of an actual crime, one of the most cold-blooded, horrible murders in Oklahoma crime history, and one of the most remarkable examples of careful and painstaking detective work in the history of any state. After days of disheartening and discouragement, justice personified by Sheriff Crawford and Deputy Warren is beginning to make progress, is edging closer to the killer of Dortha Maxwell. But who is he? Where is he? The two hard-working police officers have identified the victim. They have identified the man she married through a matrimonial bureau. But they have no evidence that this man killed Dortha Maxwell. Armed with photographs of Dortha and her husband, Crawford and Warren visit five tourist camps with no success. Then at the Good Rest Tourist Camp, south of Kansas City on Route 69, they talked to the owner of Mr. John Holbrook. Ever seen these two people before, Mr. Holbrook? Uh, see, let me see. Yeah, I believe I have, Sheriff. Do you recall their names? Uh, just a minute, let me look at my register here. Yeah, these are photographs of Mr. and Mrs. David Drake. Uh, they stopped here on the 18th of June. Hey, is this the woman... This is the woman you phoned us about, Mr. Holbrook, on the day of the murder. I'm sorry I wasn't able to be more accurate about the description at the time. We so many people in and out. But with these photographs... Mr. Holbrook, do you by any chance keep a record of the license numbers of your guest cars? Well, yes, I do. I think it's a good idea. You never well, know... What is the license number of Drake's car? Uh, let me see. The... Drake. Ford Coupe. Ray, Indiana plate. Indiana? Yep. I'll uh, write the number down here for you. This is a new wrinkle, Sheriff. But one I like, Warren. And there you are, Sheriff. Anything more I can do? You've done plenty already, Holbrook. Thanks very much. Now we're on our way to Indiana to check these plates. We've sure done some traveling on this case, Sheriff. Yes, Warren, and we may have to do a lot more. Yes? You, Mr. Baker? That's right. Who are you? We're police officers. We'd like to see your car. A gray 1941 Ford Coupe. Well, I'm afraid that isn't possible. Not possible. Now, listen, Mr. Baker. Wait a minute, Warren. Mr. Baker, you mean your car isn't here? Well, that's right. I lent it to a friend last month for the trip. I see. And who is that friend? Well, if something happened, I may not... Routine checkup, Mr. Baker. We're from Oklahoma. Checked the license of your car with the Indiana authorities and found you. Oh, Afraid we'll have to have the name of your friend. Well, as a matter of fact, it's his wife who's my friend. Uh, my friend's wife, that is. Well, what's a man's name and address? Uh, Sturgis Jones. Sturgis Jones, huh? And the address? Uh, look, officer, I don't know about... You better know. Unless you want to be arrested for aiding and abetting a crime. Crime? Let's have that address. It's 1220 Park Avenue. Here in Indianapolis? Yes, yes. 
Uh, has there been an accident? Some people may call it that. We call it murder. Murder? My car? A little advice, Mr. Bacon. Yes, sir. One word about our visit here to your friend or his wife or anyone, and you'll be in plenty of trouble. Yes, I, I understand. Come on, Warren. We're going to make another visit to 1220 Park Avenue. <laughs> Now, uh, Mrs. Jones, where's your husband? I don't know. I tell you, he's away on a trip. But we've got to know. Why are you officers questioning me like this? What's Sturgis done? We don't know yet, for sure. But one thing we are sure about, he's married another woman. Married another... I don't believe it. You will, Mrs. Jones. Is this your husband's picture? Where Where did you get that? From his apartment in St. Louis. Apartment in St. Louis? Yes. I just can't understand Yes, that's his picture. Where did he say he was going in the car he marred for Mr. Baker? On a business trip out west. Well, what he really used it for was a honeymoon. Yes, but he wasn't using the name of Jones for that trip. It was David Drake. You you officers seem to know a lot about my husband. We'll know more if you'll help us. Why? Why should I help you against my husband? Because he's married another woman. And because he's wanted for questioning concerning a murder. Murder? Who? The other woman. Oh. Well, what do you want to know? First of all, where is he? I've told you I don't know, and it's the truth. All I know is that he's away on a business trip. When do you expect him back? Perhaps today, perhaps tomorrow. Good. Now, Mrs. Jones, I, I know you want to see that justice is done, no matter how much you love your husband. Tell us, how did you happen to marry this man? Well, I... We don't want to pester you, Miss Jones, or annoy you, but you must cooperate with him. It's just possible that we'll be able to save you from the fate of that other woman. What... What was her name? Dorothy Maxwell, from Peoria, Illinois. So that was it. What was it? One day, a month ago, I happened to come into the room when Sturgis was writing a letter. It was addressed to a woman named Dortha. And he had written, After we are married, we will be very happy. We had an argument. He told me it was just a joke. Well, Mrs. Jones, how did you happen to marry him? Well, I was lonely. I didn't like my office work at all. I didn't know what to do, so... I wrote to a matrimonial agency. Got a list of names and descriptions and what the men did and so forth. Well, Sturgis and I started a correspondence. We exchanged photographs and... Well, we got married. That's about all. And he took frequent business trips? Yes, he did. And always came back with plenty of money? Yes. We've been very comfortable. Mrs. Jones, in the interest of justice, I'm going to ask you a great favor. Yes, sure. Uh, you have a spare room in the house, a guest room? Yes. Yes, I have. I wonder if you'll be good enough, cooperative enough to permit Deputy Warren and me to stay here until your husband returns. Yes, sure. You officers can stay here until he gets back. And then... Then I hope you'll take him away. <laughs> marked by a telephone call from Sturgis Jones to his wife Mildred. He is on his way home, and the two police officers wait, patiently wait, for they know now that the trap is set. But Sturgis Jones does not come home. Perhaps he's been forewarned. Perhaps not. Then... That's him. All right, Warren. 
You on one side of the vestibule, I'll be on the other. I've got my gun ready. I doubt if you'll need it. I don't think this louse is the kind that uses a gun. Coming, Sturgis. Well, hello, darling. Ah, it's all so good to get home. Hello, Sturgis. Well, why so serious? Not even a smile. Mildred, who are these men? They're police officers. Police? Yes, Jones from Oklahoma. Remember? Oklahoma? We want to talk with you, Jones or Drake or whatever your name is. Talk with me? About what? About a murder in Oklahoma on the 18th of June at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, but let's all go in the living room and sit down, Frisky shall we? Frisky and Warren, right, Sheriff. Oh, this is nonsense. You can't... Don't tell us what we can do and can't do. Put your hands in the air. Hi. Really, gentlemen, I have to have you sued for false arrest. Go ahead and sue, Jones. Meanwhile, I'll take charge of this bag. Oh, here, I don't believe you have any right to... Quiet. Well, Warren? No gun, Sheriff. But look at this. A money belt. Money belt? Well, Sturgis, you never wore a money belt. Where'd you get that? Why, I... I'll tell you where he got it, Miss Jones. He got it from his other wife, Dorothy Maxwell Jones. Yes. And when that belt left home in Peoria, it contained $3,000. Well, I really don't know what you're talking about, but I think I'd better call my lawyer. Before you do, Jones or Drake, listen to this. Here's a brief resume of your record as supplied by the St. Louis police. St. Louis? Yes, we've been to your apartment. And consulted St. Louis police files. Listen. 1917, arrested as leader of a group of automobile thieves in Los Angeles. 1919, sentenced to federal prison for using mail to defraud. 1937, sentenced to San Quentin prison, grand larceny. Well? Yes, that's all true. Sturgis. But you can't take me for murder. You have no... We'll let the courts of justice decide that, Jones. But we can take you for bigamy. That's a crime, you know. Sheriff, while you've been reading a riot act to our friend, I've gone through his bag. Look at this. Casablanca necklace. Oh, what does that mean? It means, Mrs. Jones, that your husband is even guilty of robbing the dead. He took that necklace off Dorothy Jones's throat after he killed her. That's a lie. And was doubtless bringing it home to you as a present. Oh, Sturgis. No, You believe these rotten cops against me? Very well, they'll take me, but before they do... Look out, drop that lamp! <laughs> You're a killer at heart, aren't you, Jones? You all right, Miss Jones? That lamp tried to kill me. You'll never get a chance like that again. No. Jones, you'll be extradited to Oklahoma for trial. From now on, your fate is in the hands of justice. <laughs> papers were signed, and Sturgis Jones was returned to Oklahoma for trial. At this trial, Jones and Drake were identified as the same man by the owner of the tourist camp. The money belt, the Casablanca necklace, all positively identified. Other jewelry found in Jones's possession at the time of his arrest, identified as having belonged to Dorothy Maxwell. Jones was sentenced to death in the electric chair where he paid for his crime on December the 18th, 1943, just six months after Dorothy Maxwell's body was found. Thus, Oklahoma justice. And so at police headquarters in Tulsa... Deputy Warren? Yes, Sheriff? Remove Dorothy Maxwell's card from the active file. Yes, sir. Mark it. Case closed. Justice did triumph. 
Although the names of all persons, characters, and places are entirely fictitious, and any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental, this dramatization was based on an actual murder case. Next week at this time, the Mutual Broadcasting System will present another thrilling dramatization taken from the files of the two Justice series appearing each week in the New York Sunday News and its syndicate. programs are produced by Jock McGregor. Today's program was directed by Arthur Van Horn. The script was written by Bryce Disk, Jr. The narrator was George Carson Putnam. Cameron Prudhomme played the sheriff, Jim Bowles the deputy. Others in the cast were Bryna Rayburn, Joe Latham, Paul Conrad, Sidney Smith, and Humphrey Davis. The orchestra conducted by Emerson Buckley played music written especially for this broadcast by Richard DuPage. Frank McCarthy speaking. <laughs> Broadcasting System.